How's everyone doing? Yeah, three of you are doing great. I love it. Well, I am so thankful you're here. If we haven't met before, my name's Grayson. I'm one of the small groups pastors here. If we haven't met, I want to meet you. So I'll be down right here after services. Come introduce yourself. But uh, we're going to continue our series through the book of James. And Devin alluded to it earlier, uh, buckle up, because James is not pulling any punches today. Uh, He's going for it. So um, this is going to be a great test drive, because later on in James, he's going to go for it even more. So this is easing you into it. But uh, I think he has some incredible things to say to us. So if you want to turn in your Bible, Bible app to James chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 14. But let me pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm, I'm thankful for the gift that it is, that we can go and we can hear your voice through this amazing Bible that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would open all of our stopped up ears, that you would open our eyes, that we'd be able to hear and see what you have for us today. We are so dependent on you. Challenge us, encourage us, inspire us. We want to seek you wholeheartedly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to start out with a story. Uh, A couple years ago, uh, I was driving north from my home in Deer Park on Highway 395 toward Chewila, if you you know that stretch of road at all. And it was winter, so it was icy out. The roads, they were okay, but mostly it was snow on the sides of it. And that highway is really, uh, really rough in a lot of ways. There's lots of places where you can turn across traffic, but there's no turn lane. And here there are people going 60 miles per hour, and then someone wants to turn. So I had that happen um, as I was heading north. Someone slammed the brakes on, turn signal, and I realized with the ice and all that, there wasn't enough time for me to salvage this. So what did I do? I pulled off to the side into the snow <laughs> and ended up not, not being able to get out by spinning my wheels. So what, what I did was I turned the car off, I grabbed my collapsible shovel, I started digging out in front of the wheels. Uh, I was going to get out eventually here. But first one car and then another car stopped behind me. And people piled out of the cars, they grabbed their shovels, they were ready, and they came and helped me unearth my car from the snow. And I was so grateful to them because what could have taken me a half hour probably took us about five, ten minutes. And the people were super friendly, and I was, I was thankful thankful for that. Well, as I'm putting my shovel back in the car and getting things buttoned up again, I heard them talking to each other, the drivers of the two vehicles, and they said, what ward did you go to? And I suddenly realized these are Mormons. They're not, they're not Christians. They're, they're, not just, they're Mormons who have stopped and helped me, and I was incredibly grateful for them. Uh, and then I had, I had a moment where I realized that these people have shown me who Jesus is, even though they don't follow the Jesus of the Bible. They've just shown me who Jesus is so much better than I often see from Christian people. And there's, there's maybe one Mormon family to every hundred Christian families in America, right? The, there's a big difference. But for all the people that passed by me that day, it was only these two families that stopped for me. And I loved what they did, but my heart... I just kind of had this moment of, uh, Jesus has called us to be the people who will stop, us to be the people who are going to put our faith on display. And the world is dying and lost out there. I don't know if you've stepped outside your front door lately, but it's kind of chaos out there. People at each other's throats, so much discord. Uh, Jesus wants us to be a city on a hill, a light and salt 
But if I'm honest, I look around and most people, I wouldn't know they're Christian, really. I might see that they have a bumper sticker, you know, the Jesus fish, or he is greater than I, or they might have a cross around their neck or some sort of Bible verse on their shirt. But apart from that, if, if I'm really honest with myself, I look and I don't see a lot of evidence that people are followers of Jesus from the way they live their lives. There's no distinctiveness, nothing to set them apart. They like the same things, they do the same things, they kind of talk the same way and say the th- same things as anyone else. But then a lot of Christians add on that we're more judge- judgmental in general toward people, uh, more condemning. And all of a sudden what I realized is there's this picture of Jesus' church that nobody really wants to be a part of that because we really don't look any different. And in fact, if anything, we're pushing people away. And so all of this is going through my head and I'm caught in this tension recognizing, okay, God's called us to so much more, to be hope, bring hope of Jesus just from being around people and loving them well. Well, James is going to help me and you navigate through this tension. So you can come on a journey with me today as he really messes with me. Um, we're going to read from James chapter 2, uh, and like I said, buckle up. He's got some really heavy things to say, uh, but we're going to talk about why he's saying these as well. Start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Ouch, right? But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person... (laughs) You want evidence that your faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Anyone feel a little bit beat up? I, like if, I guess I'm the only one, huh? That's, that's too bad, but well, you can come along with me. We'll see how this goes, but um, yeah, James is swinging for the fences here, and he has a lot to say, and he's writing to this church, and it's the Jewish church specifically scattered around the known world, and what he's saying is, look, we've been called to more. We've been called to be distinctive, to show Jesus, but a lot of times faith is just up here, and as I was preparing for the sermon, God was challenging me. He said, look, there, there are four major groups of people in the room right now, and probably all four of them are represented here. The first group is those of you who have never made a decision to follow Jesus at all. You're not even sure who this guy is or whether you're in or not. And what I'd love to say is I am so thankful you're here. 
this is a great place to come and hear. James, the section of James that seems so heavy is not written to you specifically. It's written to people in his church who are trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. But what I would encourage you to do is still listen because what you're going to hear is this deep passion that James has for God and this passion that drives everything. What you're going to find is a God who loves you, who's calling you forward. So I would invite you to engage with God as he speaks. A second group in here is the group that James really is primarily writing to. And that's people who have said yes to Jesus, gotten baptized, ready to go. But really, there's nothing different about your life. You're just kind of mailing it in. <laughs> You're showing up. You know, the average follower of Jesus shows up to 1.4 church services a week. So I don't know what that looks like. I guess you leave after the worship service or something. But 1.4 times a week, the average person shows up. Maybe you come in, coffee cup, you know, drinking coffee during worship, you know, show up late, whatever it happens to be. You're like, I'm here. I'll show up. But then you go kind of about your life through the week. And if we're honest, probably the majority of Christians in the United States, to some extent, live that sort of a lifestyle. Well, James is talking to you. So most of this, we'll, we'll talk about that. There's another group, though, that you are showing the world who Jesus is by your actions. You are talking differently and living differently and blessing people. And people look at you and think you're just a little bit nuts, right? By the way, that's a good thing people thought Jesus was out of his mind, right? They t they're like, I'm not sure about you, uh, but they were curious and they loved it. And if, if that's you and you are passionately on fire for Jesus, I just wanted to thank you for being sincere with your faith. And also, I'm hoping that this sermon, you'll be encouraged to see, yes, I am doing those things, but also that you would leave room for God's Spirit to still speak, because we're all on a journey of growth with Jesus meaning we never arrive, and that means that there's still some things that God can speak into us and refine and challenge in our lives. Uh, the last group is one that's near and dear to my heart because this is the group that I came out of, lived my life in for a long time. And that's those of you who hear what James is saying here, and they're like, okay, James, the bottom line is I need to work harder. I need to do more good things. I need to have more actions. And I need to prove that I was worth saving. I have to work to justify what Jesus did in my life. I need to try harder to wipe out all of the bad things, all of the sins that I've done by doing good things. And the problem is we can't do that. There's too much, too much for us to do. If you're in that place, probably what you're feeling, at least this is what I felt, was there's a lot of shame in your life, a lot of guilt, a lot of pressure and a lack of joy, and this, desire, this feeling that I need to be doing more, but I'm already exhausted. And what I would encourage you is, God's Word's incredible. No Scripture passage or word from Scripture is meant to be taken out of the context of the entirety of Scripture. There's a lot of stuff in this amazing book. So for, for those of you who are in that last category, uh, we call that legalism, where it's all about following the rules and doing what's right so that God favors me more. I want to I show you what Paul says in Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read 8 through 10. He says this, It's by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So notice what Paul is saying is, how do you become saved, become part of Jesus' family? It's not that you work really hard, to clean yourselves up before you come to Jesus, or, 
or that you try to justify yourself. You can't do it. The only one who can do it and did do it is God himself. And he came down from heaven to die on a cross for your sins because he loved you that much. He's the only one who could do it. What he gives is a free gift, grace. It's him giving us what we don't deserve. And our part is saying, okay, I believe that, I'm in. I'm going with you. It's very easy, right? I don't have to clean anything up. God will do that work. I just need to say, yes, God, I confess I've sinned. I confess I've lived my own life. I want to follow you. See, God's job is to give us this free gift. So where do James's deeds, his works come in? Well, Paul's going to talk about that in the, the last verse here, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. Other translations say masterpiece. You are a masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what happens is I choose to follow Jesus, not because I'm awesome, but because he's awesome. And he's going to change everything. He's going to get in there and he's going to mess stuff up. You know, a lot of times I'm like, okay, God, it's okay if you rearrange the furniture in here a little bit, right? Do a little feng shui. I'm good with that. But Jesus is like, no, we're throwing everything out and we're starting from scratch, right? We're starting all over again. And I'm going to change everything about how you view everything in the world. I'm going to give you my spirit. This is God's presence living inside of us, the almighty God who created the universe. If you think about that for longer than five seconds, it should freak you out just a little bit, Right? God is living inside of us, and he's giving us the power and the direction and the guidance and the energy and the passion to do what God has asked us to do. That's what following Jesus is like. Once I say yes to Jesus, we're off to the races. What he's going to do is he's going to start, he says, I've got these things planned for you and me to do together. We're going to bless people. We're going to do all these amazing things together. Does that make sense? Tracking so far? So those of you who are in that last camp, what I want to say is breathe the free air. Jesus has set you free from this need to do things to justify yourself. He did the work on the cross. You don't have to go and crucify yourself for it, okay? So what's James trying to say then? Really, what he's trying to, trying to focus on is after I've said yes to Jesus, there's this process called discipleship we enter into. I can't be a Christian and not a disciple. The two are the same thing. They go together. And we talk about around here, what a disciple is, is first off, someone who is following Jesus, meaning Jesus is in front. I'm in back. He's the one leading and guiding my life. It's not about my hopes and dreams and aspirations. It's about what he wants for me, because he's got, he's got far better ideas than I can come up with. I want to follow him and allow him to lead. That's hard, right? The second thing about, about being a disciple of Jesus is I'm committed to the mission of Jesus. And his mission, we talk about it all the time here, we're reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Jesus' words are, as we go, making disciples of all the nations, all the people we bump into, we're trying to make disciples of them. This mission Jesus gives us to, we're committed to as disciples of Jesus. But the third one is probably the most difficult of them all is a disciple is being changed by Jesus. And that's not an easy process. Because like I said, God's not going to say, oh, we'll do it your way. He's going to say, nope, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uproot everything that's not of me. I'm going to change the way you look at everything. 
and give you a new path to walk. James is saying those who have become a disciple of Jesus, you should look at their lives and say they're changing and they have been changed. There's fruit that God is producing in their lives. They can't help but be a blessing to the people they come around. They can't help but be excited about sharing the good news of Jesus with people. They can't help it. And what James is saying is, but what if someone doesn't do that? What if you don't really see that change in the past or in the present, right? What if there is no fruit and people are just living their lives? They haven't fallen in love with Jesus and been inspired by Jesus to go and reach the world. What if that happens? That's what James is wanting to explore with us here. So I, I want to look at a few things that he says and get ready to get punched in the gut, because we're going to look at a few of the things he said, some of the harder things, and recognize the difference between faith and what true faith is. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Uh, when he asks this question, the implied answer is no. If I say I have faith, but I don't have actions that go with them, that faith is not saving faith. Don't kid yourself is what he's saying. Ouch. He's going to go on, right? He says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Unless there's action, your faith is dead. He goes on to say, faith without deeds is useless. So right now he's told me, you know, my faith is dead. It's not existence. It's useless. Uh, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And the last thing, uh, you might have caught this, and this is where I want to camp out for a second. You believe that there's one God. Good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Did you know that demons, they actually believe that God is the almighty creator of the universe, that he's good, that Jesus came down from heaven and was God in the flesh, that he died on the cross for your sins so that we could live with him for eternity? Did you know that demons actually believe that? They don't like it, but they believe it. And what James is saying is, look, you might believe all the right things, just like those demons do. But your life needs to look differently. He says, if you have belief but no action that goes, flows out from it, you're no better off than a demon that's going to live eternally separated from God. I told you, James is not pulling any punches today, right? You're no better off than a demon. Also, he's going to use Rahab as an example of faith. He's like, you're being outfaithed by a prostitute. I know, this is making you feel really good, right? Like lots of morale boosters here. Uh, but James, James is just socking us. And, and the, the reason why is a lot of times we like the privilege of following Jesus. The privilege is I get, to, I get to go to heaven when I die and be with him forever, right? I get to have a certain kind of life that I want to have that hopefully is going to be guilt-free. This is awesome. We want the privilege of following Jesus, but we often kind of take a step back when it comes to the responsibility that comes with it, the lifestyle and the transformation of following Jesus. God, I want both ways. I want the good things, and I want to live kind of my way. What God says is, no, this is a package deal. All of it comes together, and I want you to be a part of this. And let me peel back the layers, because like I said, James just seems like a jerk right now, right? Hopefully, hopefully you're experiencing some of that, but he's not. James is a pastor, and he absolutely loves you and me, so much so that he's not willing to let you stay stuck in this place. He's not willing to let me kind of waffle back and forth. He says, man, Jesus, knowing him is so good. Life is so full of 
beauty and joy and peace and fulfillment of purpose. It's like seeing in color when I was watching things in black and white. Life with Jesus is so good. He's going to take you on a mission. He's going, to, he's going to partner with you to reach the lost people of this world, to help them grow toward maturity in Christ. This life is worth giving everything for, and my heart is breaking that you're throwing that away, that you're missing it. I want you to experience it. And, and similarly, I, I wish I could just show you that some of you who are in that place and you're recognizing, man, I'm wrestling with not really living out my faith. If I could just show you what it's like, what it feels like for God to be your one true love, for him to have the reins of your life, it's incredible. doesn't mean I always get it right, but it's worth giving everything for. That's why James is doing this, because he loves you, and he wants to invite you into something different. Are you with me? Okay. So, on another note, what I, what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to look at how we can actually live out our faith. If you, if you can take anything with you today, the bottom line for today's sermon that James is giving us is true faith, true faith requires action. Okay? True faith requires action. So how do we do that? And I'm going to give you highly practical things for each step. The first thing is show your faith by how you love other people. That's not necessarily what, where I would have started. I would have started with how you love God. James will get there, but I love what he did because he actually starts with people. Remember the story? Okay, if, if someone, if a brother or sister comes to you and they don't have clothes and they don't have food, and you say to them, bless your heart, right? Oh, man. I hope you find everything you need. Or have you ever tried this one? I'll pray for you, right? Pray, absolutely pray. But the point is, God has brought this person with this need in front of you, not so that you can tell them, oh man, I wish the best for you, but so that you can be Jesus to them in that moment. Gotta love people by the way I live my life. Uh, John's gonna say it this way. In 1 John, um, I love how he connects it. Because James is actually doing something really clever by taking Jesus' words. But John will say this. This is from 1 John 4, 19 and following. We love because Jesus first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Okay? A lot of us are feeling okay right now. We're like, okay, I don't wish ill on anyone. Right? I, don't, I don't want someone to trip and hurt themselves or anything like that. I don't really hate people. But hold on. He's going to go a little deeper. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Love isn't just a general warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart toward people. Love biblically is, no, I'm actually doing things about it. I'm actually following through. I'm trying to help them when they need help. I'm showing up in their moments of greatest need, trying to do that. If I don't actually love people, I don't actually love God. Pretty, pretty heavy, right? I don't actually love God. I love how Jesus says it, though. Over and over again, people ask him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I dare you, go through the gospels and try to find a place where Jesus <clears throat> only mentions love your God with everything you have. He's always going to put it together. He's always going to couple it up because they're inseparable. I can't love God if I don't love people. I also can't love people very well if I don't love God, right? I have to love people to love God. So James wants us to understand that. Love, show your faith by how you love others. And by the way, this is messy. Has, has anyone in this room 
been in any sort of relationship with anyone for longer than like five days? Okay, good. How did that go? As if you're like me, it's messy. People are messy. I'm messy. Everyone's messy, right? I, my wife, when we were first dating, I'm like, I love all the things that are different about her. It's so great. And then we got married. I'm like, I can't stand, right? I can't stand those same things. Now I appreciate them. Okay. I've grown. I've learned that actually it's a gift that she's different from me, but people are messy. And some of us, when we hear love people, show that by loving them. We're like, ugh, do I have to? Do I need to? People are gross, right? Uh, well, you're gross, right? We all are gross. Yes, it's messy. Look at, look at his example of faith, Rahab the prostitute. What did she do? Well, first off, she's a prostitute. That's suspect to begin with, right? She's in the city of Jericho. You can read about it in the book of Joshua. And they send spies to Jericho because they're going to go and destroy it. God's given them land to them. These two spies go, and she gives them a place to stay, and then the people of Jericho come to try to kill them, obviously, right? And she actually hides them and then helps them get away and escape. If they had found out what she was doing, she would have been dead in a heartbeat. These, these are two random strangers she doesn't really know, but she chose to show them love and care about them in a moment when they desperately needed it. Relationships, messy. Let me tell you about a story right now that doesn't paint me in a very good light, so don't hold on, right? This is going to be great. Um, I had, I, there's this brand new person at our church, a wonderful woman. She's 85, disabled. She had showed up for services, and she reached out to me about, I want to get connected into community. And Tuesday mornings work, so I invited her to my, my uh, reading the Bible class, and she came in. And what I love is the people in that class don't treat it like it's all intellectual, just learning stuff. It's a community of believers who loves each other. She came in, and everyone surrounded her and loved her and got to know her. And I found out later several people from it actually went to her house and spent time with her. And a couple of them, good friends of mine, Debbie and, and Kelly, uh, went over to her place, and it turns out she has a noxious weed issue. City sent her a notice in the mail uh, seven days ago that said, you have 10 days to get rid of these noxious weeds. There is no way that she's going to be able to do that. It's impossible, right, for her. And what I love about Kelly and Debbie is they said, okay, well, we're here. We're going to do it. 6 a.m. Monday morning, tomorrow, they're going to be at her house pulling weeds, and they've roped in a bunch of other people to do it. I love that picture of faith. But here's the not-so-great thing about me. Kelly came and told me about this, and I'm like, whew, I work on Mondays, right? Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm free. I don't have to go and do that. And, and then... Uh, uh, I'm like, oh, good, Th this is going to be great, right? Because people are messy, and it's inconvenient, and all these sorts of things. Well, then Kelly came and talked to, and as he was talking to me, he's like, yeah, can we talk about it at men's group? I'm like, yeah, we can do that. And he's like, I'm not expecting you to be there. I know you're really busy, and you work on Mondays. And as soon as he said it, conviction swept over me, right, by the Holy Spirit, because I realized, oh, yeah, I'm preaching a sermon tomorrow about not telling people God bless you. Go in peace. And here I am going, God bless you. Go in peace. Like, okay, I've got it. So I'm going to be there tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. because I don't work until 9, right? Like, that's what it looks like. I don't, I don't feel like I really am excited about that initially, right? Um, ask my wife. I'm terrible when it comes to garden work, and it's not my forte. But, but there's someone in need who's a sister and here's the cool thing. I've been inviting people every service. If you want to be a part of this, come up afterward. We'll talk. 
okay? I'll get, I'll get you information about it because there's so many people from the previous two services who are going to show up tomorrow morning because they're like, we want to put our faith in action. That's what it looks like. We have to show our faith by how we love other people, okay? Second thing is we can show, you can show your faith by your obedience to God, and if you've been here for a while, um, over the last six months, we've just been hammering this point over and over again. And the reason why is God keeps bringing it up. So what can we do? Over and over again, obedience, because obedience is God's love language. Three times in the same conversation with his disciples, Jesus is going to say, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. If I don't obey God, I don't love him. That's what Jesus says, right? So I can show my faith by being obedient to him. Here's the problem. Um, has God ever told you to do anything that doesn't make sense or that you don't have all of the pieces of the puzzle? God can be infuriating that way, right? I, I want to know it all. God, I want to know how you're going to do it. He's like, no, no, no. I just gave you the step. Take it. Take the step. I'll show up in the middle of it. It'll be miraculous. It'll be great. You're going to love it. I'm like, I don't love this. Uh, this is not what I'm excited about right now, right? God's guidance, sometimes he's going to ask us to do things that don't make sense. Think about the example from James, Abraham and Isaac. Go and read it after service. Uh, it's from Genesis 22. Abraham is told by God, go up on Mount Moriah with your son Isaac, your only son, the son of promise, who's going to bring the Messiah through, who all of Abraham's offspring are going to come through. Take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me. Wait, What? Do you know what you're talking about? Well, what does Abraham do? He goes to do it. He actually goes up the mountain, and he's got the knife poised, and God stops him. By the way, God does not want human sacrifice, nor will he ever ask for that. He doesn't want us to do it. God was teaching Abraham in that moment that, look, I'm not a God who demands human sacrifice, and in fact, I'm the God who's going to provide for you the sacrifice, because he gave him a ram to sacrifice instead. But in that moment, Abraham took a wild, desperate move of faith, and he walked up that mountain. By the way, his son Isaac, he's probably in his 20s at this point. He could have taken his 100-plus-year-old father, right? Isaac was a willing participant of this as well. This family had crazy faith. Later on, we find out Abraham believed that, oh, well, God can bring him back to life. And sure enough, God could have brought him back to life. He just knew that God gave me the step. I'm going to take it. Crazy obedience. There's a family in our church that I'm really inspired by right now on this note. Uh, Garrett and Jess Boyer, some of you know them. They're incredible. If you don't know them, you're missing out. Um, they were missionaries in Southeast Asia for years and New Zealand and recently came back. And God's been taking them through this really difficult but awesome season of refinement where he's preparing them for this next season. And I recently invited Garrett into our church residency program, learning, hey, discovering, is this really my calling long-term to be vocationally in ministry? And as I invited him in, I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard. It's six months where he's going to have to do 30-plus hours a week. He's not going to be able to work. He has four kids. This isn't going to work. But I love what happened. He went home, prayed over it with his wife, came back and said, hey, we're in. God said, Go. I have no clue how we're going to do this, how we're going to raise the, the support that we need before September, but we are all in. And he's like, I'm scared, but Jesus asked us to do this, and so we're going to trust him to provide the miraculous. How cool is that? How cool is it that people would take those steps of faith? By the way, if you want to partner with them, come and talk to me afterward, because they're going to need a lot of help, but they're, they're going to need the church to rally around them and help them in the season. But that's faith. 
right? Show your faith by your obedience to God, even when it doesn't make sense. Uh, the last thing that James is going to show us is show your faith even when it's costly, even when it's costly, even when God asks you to go up a mountain and sacrifice your son. Talk about costly. How many of you would just be like, okay, I'm going on this trip, right? Uh, don't throw your children under the bus here if they're with you, right? Don't, don't answer that way. Um, even when it's costly. Uh, James, who wrote this book, not our James, but this James, at the end of his life, he was taken up on the temple in Jerusalem by the religious leaders in Jerusalem who did not like Jesus. They did not like the gospel. They did not like James. He was the enemy. And they told him, recant. Say that Jesus is not God, that he's not the Messiah, or, or you're going to die. And he said, I won't do it. So they pushed him off. Miraculously, he survived, so he went to the bottom and finished the job. See, James gave everything. When it was costly, he gave everything. Out of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of them offed himself. Out of the other 11, 10 of them were all killed for their faith. Jesus himself gave it all at the cross. Now, as followers of Jesus in 21st century America, it's very unlikely we're going to be martyred for our faith. Possible, but unlikely, right? But if, if we're honest, God asks us to do costly things every week. He invites us to give it all. And most of the time, we want to fake a seizure or something and pretend like we don't need to do it, right? We're like, God, please, can you give me another assignment, anything to be free from this? But we have so many examples in Scripture of this costly faith, and God loves you. He cares about you so much. He's going to ask you to do costly things because he's invited you to be close to him. And when you're close to him, like he said about Abraham, my friend, when you're God's friend, he says, hey, we're going to do some costly things together because you and I, we love those people out there. We love those who are lost. We see them and we want to give our lives on behalf of them. God's going to invite us to be like him. And what was he like? Self-sacrificial. Costly faith really shows people who God is. Because think about it. Most people, if it's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a dollar because you're short on your groceries or something, they're like, oh, cool, thanks. That's nice of you, right? But if we expend ourselves, if we are self-sacrificial, that shows an amazing picture of who Jesus is because that's exactly what he's like. So a great, really practical thing for us to do. Devin was up here, did an awesome job talking about the One Heart event. We have that coming up in August. We have shoes between now and then. And shoes, for those of you with kids, are costly, right? Very costly, and they grow out of them quickly. And for us to buy shoes, especially over 1,000 pairs of shoes, that's a lot of money, right? And for us to go on a Saturday in August when it's hot and throw a party for a bunch of people and be energetic and give of our time and our passion and our energy, that's costly, but you know what? That's something that God's called us as a church body to do. If you consider yourself part of real life, this is who we are. This is what we do. And I want to invite you to bring the party and to be part of the party and to be extravagant in how you buy shoes for these kids who need it so that we can show families Jesus's love. See, One Heart is a very simple way for us to do exactly what James is asking us to do, to show our faith, not just talk about it, not just believe it, to show it. Does that make sense? See, God's, God's invited us into more than just intellectual knowledge. He's invited us to know him deeply. And the, the scary but awesome part about that is the deeper I know him, the crazier he's going to make me be. I'm going to look more and more like his son. I'm going to start to be self-sacrificial.
Some of you in this room, um, you're feeling pretty beat up by what James said, maybe what I said, right? But I promise, I'm just saying what he said, right? Don't blame me, blame James. Some of you are feeling a little bit beat up here. And my encouragement is, the reason why God speaks, it says his Holy Spirit convicts you, is because he loves you and he wants depth of relationship with you. It's not to make you feel lousy and terrible, but instead it's for him to invite you to be part of what he's doing because he says, this is gonna be an adventure you can't afford to miss and you don't want to miss. Some of you in this room, you have been following Jesus and you have been living out loud your faith. And my hope is that you're inspired and encouraged and also that God is starting to uh, shine a light in some of the cracks of your heart and helping you recognize, yeah, there's more to do. He's always going to be upping the ante. He's like, yes, you're starting to look more and more like my son. Here's the next thing. Here's how you can look even more like him. And some of you, your next step is to recognize, Jesus, I do want to follow you. You are my Savior who died for me. Your next step is to choose to give your life fully to Jesus, to get, get baptized. That's the next step. Wherever you're at, we would love to journey through that with you. We're going to have our team of staff, elders, volunteers up here to pray with you. And we would love to help you take that next step and to invite God's presence into that journey with you. So please don't go without getting prayer, without sitting, even sitting in your seat and processing what God's speaking through this. But I want to say I love you so much. Like James, I want God's best for you because God's best is far better than anything we can come up with on our own. Let's pray. Jesus, you're incredible. You are powerful. You're moving. You are our God. Lord, there's a lot that we talked about today that is, it is heavy and hard-hitting. It is challenging. It is sometimes painful to hear these sorts of things. But I love that with you, it's a cruel mercy. With you, what you're doing is you're saying, hey, this is how you can experience fullness of life is becoming more and more like me and passionate for me and all in with me. God, I love that you're gonna invite us into this. I hate it at times, if I'm honest, because it is difficult, but I love it every time when I do follow through and allow you to do your work because it is so good on the other side. So Lord, we come to you today uh, submissive, wishing that you would do your work in us regardless of what the cost is soften our hearts and help pave the way for your spirit. God, we love you so much with all our hearts. We pray all this in Jesus' name today. Amen.